If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, I'm excited for you to meet Christo Carmen, co-founder and CEO of WISE, the global technology company building the best way to move money around the world. Originally called TransferWise, Christos founded the company in 2011 on a mission to save people money. Today, with the WISE account, people and businesses can hold 56 currencies, move money between countries, and spend money abroad seamlessly. WISE is one of the world's fastest growing tech companies and is listed on the London Stock Exchange, where a direct listing just valued the company at over $11 billion. Prior to starting WISE, Christos was the management consultant at Deloitte Consulting and PricewaterhouseCoopers. He works with European banks and insurers to modernize their processes and systems. Simply stunned by their inefficiency, he teamed up with his co-founder Tavit, then Skype's director of strategy, to develop an entirely new system for moving money across borders. Christos was selected as one of the World Economic Forum's technology pioneers in 2015, and we're excited to welcome him here today. Let's welcome Christo. Christo, first of all, I've been following you for so long. It's so fun to get to meet you uh, here today. I just want to start from the beginning. What is wise in your own words for those who maybe haven't used the product yet? And then let's start at the beginning. How did you come up with the idea? Let's go all the way back to, you know, almost 2011. Um, walk us through the beginning story. Sure, Alexa. Great to be on the show. Wise is a, a way, it's an app for people and businesses to move money from one country to another. The what people usually have used for, for the last decades is usually their bank. So they go to the bank, they want the bank to make an international wire. And what happens is the bank tells them, that's awesome, we can do this. It's somewhere between 30 bucks to 50 bucks. But what they don't tell you is that they also mark up the exchange rate um, that you get from moving from say us dollars to canadian dollars or from us dollars to euros and and that's what where they take about five percent of your money which oftentimes is uh like 100 times more than the 30 bucks that they they told you they're going to take so we built wise um about 10 years ago we started uh, to circumvent exactly that problem so how do you get around the banks ripping you off on a on a terrible exchange rate without even telling you uh, this is how they they sell they charge you. What I loved about your origin story is that literally you and your co-founder were solving a deeply personable uh, personal problem. You were trying to pass money to one another across borders. And you said, this is crazy. This is so expensive. When did you decide you were going to actually build this? Let's go back to those that, you know, a decade ago. What were the steps from you being like, this is such a crazy expensive problem. And if we're having it, everybody else is having it to you actually deciding to go and build it. Uh, so me and my co-founder Tavat, we're, we're both from Estonia originally, but around 2007, we both for different reasons ended up in London. And uh, 
we had kind of two ends of a similar problem. Um, I was being paid in in pounds, but some of my expenses were still in Estonian euros. And my co-founder, he was employed by Skype, who was paying him in euros, but he was now living in London, needing pounds. And we realized, uh, unfortunately, very expensively, that our banks are taking the cut every time we move money across. So what we started doing, as you said, we did this where I put my pounds that I had in the UK on my co-founder's account. We looked at the real exchange rates on Reuters or Bloomberg or somewhere on the internet that had the real one. And then we calculated the number of euros that my co-founder put on my account in, in Estonia. So we managed to bypass the banks on both sides. We saved a ton of money for ourselves. And actually, for the first couple of years, this wasn't the business idea. This was just a, just getting around the problem. And it was somewhere around 2010, then three years later, where we had this hypothesis that maybe this is not just Estonians in London problem. Like maybe it's also a Brazilians in London problem. Maybe it's, it's also Canadians in the US problem. And uh, guess what? <laughs> That's what it exactly turned out to be. And it's not a, just, just uh, about people who move countries, but it's every single business that does something across borders, either paying their suppliers abroad or selling internationally. Everyone has exactly the same problem. And nearly every bank in the world is, uh, is marking up their exchange rates to, to, to get a cut um, across these um, cross-border flows. Well, so if we fast forward to today, WISE processes $6 billion in cross-border payments every single month for over 10 million customers and growing dramatically, um, saving users $1.5 billion a year in bank fees. I mean, Christos, that's just wild. If you step back and think about how fast that's gone, can you talk a little bit about the chapters? So you went from that MVP product that you wanted to build for yourself. How did you over the, if you had to sort of think about the, the big moments, what were the chapters, if you rewind, um, of the last decade where you kept realizing the problem was bigger and, and that you could grow even faster? For sure. Actually, it started uh, on the first day. We launched with a blog post on TechCrunch. There were no other tech publications at the time, so it was literally TechCrunch. There was literally a blog post. I remember and those days well. <laughs> we were just uh, sitting there watching our screens and... 15 minutes later, someone sends us, I think, around uh, a 2,000 pounds to be moved to France. And then some euros started coming in. And of course, we were, at the time, already quite thoughtful of not building everything at once, but we had a, a, effectively a spreadsheet to track the, uh, uh, track the orders coming in and making sure that we have enough euros and enough pounds that we can... Uh, we could make these transfers. But the first moment certainly was that, oh, we now actually have customers. And, and that was 15 minutes after we launched. And we started processing these transactions. Next day, we had a few more and then a few more. But maybe the uh, more inspiring part of that was actually all the email that I got on the first day. So I, we got some transactions, but I actually got 100 emails from other people who had had a similar use case. They were either Canadians studying in the States, finding some really quirky ways how to bypass this problem and also thought that, oh, it must be a, a bigger one and, and maybe there's a, a product there, a business there to be built, but they you know, never had time to do it. So judging on 
the the feedback that I got and all the stories for how other people had, you know, either had similar solutions that me and my co-founder had between themselves gave me a lot of inspiration that we're we're onto something that is a real problem to solve. So that was the first day. And I think that that was very um, inspiring for us. And and when we look at the phases, it also ushered in the the phase of uh, solving it initially between pounds and euros. So it was a Europe-centric challenge. And then starting to add US into the mix, and then Canada, and then Australia, and then Singapore, Japan. And now we're operating across 56 countries and thousands of different currency routes. And the first phase of expansion for WISE certainly was just uh, extending the, the product that we had or the, the experiment, if you like, that whether it works between pound and euro to, to get it to work almost anywhere, anywhere in the world. Uh, so that was definitely one, one big phase. And, and when I look at some of our early board decks or, or fundraising decks from like 2011, 2012, the, the features that we said we're going to build, it's, we're almost still building them. It's, it's never the lack of ideas what to build. It's always the effort um, and the execution that, that it takes to get these things live and not just get these things live for some people, but everywhere in the world. Let's talk a little bit on the business side. How did you think about the business model for WISE? It certainly wasn't clear from the from the beginning but uh, but it did evolve around uh, pretty strong notions and principles so firstly i'm by training a software engineer and, and so was my co-founder so for us it was actually a bit fascinating looking at what the banks were charging although in hidden fees what did they do with the money <laughs> uh, like how can it be that expensive if you go through this technically it's not too much harder than than sending an email and and maybe what's even more fascinating is uh, moving money within one country so i'm going to use the european example so we have this uh uk uh you know sending money from london to scotland is almost free or it is free uh, and then as soon as you move money from london to paris which is much closer than than scotland it's enormously more expensive. And from the engineering perspective, all of this made no sense. There's no reason or rationality behind this that we could work out, especially in the beginning as we were also quite new to this. So we, there was this suspicion that, that this thing that the banks were doing and we were starting to do is actually much cheaper and much more efficient to do than what's being paid for it. And that's what turned out to be true. That's the reason why we're passing back so much cost that our customers now don't have because they don't use banks, they switch to, to WISE. But it was very much clear in the beginning uh, for us that we would charge for the service that, we, um, that, that we're making. And I think that has been great for us. You know, sometimes products get built that are amazing to use, but then need to find a uh, a, a model how people would pay for it or businesses would pay for it for us it was easier because the smart ones had already figured out what they're paying their banks and now they're just paying 10 times less to wise but it's enough for us to to start 
building um, an income and be able to hire people and kind of build an even better better system and, and expand. So we were in some ways lucky that we were fixing a problem that was already there and was already very expensive and we were able to make it just so much cheaper. In just the last two years alone, you guys grew demand 136%, which is astounding to be as big as you are and still growing that much. What have you learned about the go-to-market and why do you think the market is still so thirsty for what you're building? And the, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're putting it this way. It's great to look that we're 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 growing and we're we're doubling our business, but we're we're doubling from a very small base compared to. Although, as you rightly said, we're a very large company now. We're two thousand people. We're moving billions and billions of dollars every month. But when we compare to what the banks do or the the total market size, the fact that we're saving a billion pounds or billion dollars to our customers every year. So it's still a drop in the ocean compared to the 100 billion that the or 200 billion even that the banks are charging. So 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 we're just solving I think the kind of the underlying thing here is we're just solving a very large and very expensive problem and we're growing because of that and because we're just in the very beginning of uh, of solving this. There's still tens of thousands of businesses, millions of people who haven't even figured out how the kind of banks are taking their money, but they will one day. One of my questions that I wanted to ask you is if you fast forward a decade, you're sitting at the intersection of what money could look like in a decade. For everybody out there that isn't the founder of Wise and staring at the problem all day long, what would you say are some of your predictions that you think are just obvious that will exist in, in about 10 years? That's a very good question. I'm, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a prophet. I think so the, the fascinating thing is you'll get a very different answer to the question when you ask it from someone who's operating in the US or if you ask it from someone who's operating in Singapore or in the UK or in Greece or in, wherever they are in the world, they kind of go to their, their context a little bit. As you pointed out in the US, the US is quite different from the rest of the world in how people and businesses move money domestically. And there's it's quite, quite interesting, for example, how uh, cryptocurrencies have, have been exciting for solving money movement in the US. They, they're not particularly exciting for solving money movement elsewhere because everywhere else you already have instant payments that cost nothing to do. So, so it really depends on the, on the context a little bit. I know for the fact what's happening is... Uh, Money movement will get very convenient in 10 years. Definitely, it's going to get cheaper and cheaper. In many countries, domestically, it's already either free or, or very cheap. And if we get our way, it's going to be very cheap in, uh, internationally as well. Uh, but it's going to be convenient. So if I want to pay Alexa, it's probably going to be... I don't really have to think about it too much how to do it. It's just do it and it happens and it probably is going to take me five seconds to do, which isn't the case today, but in 10 years, I'm pretty sure it, it will be. So my prediction would be that I don't need cryptocurrencies for this or the world won't need to, to get there in 10 years time. I want to talk a little bit about your summer. You've had a really big summer. Wise went public via direct listing on the London Stock Exchange at a valuation of $11 billion, the largest tech company by market cap to do so. 
Can you talk a little bit about why did you decide to do a direct listing and how has that impacted Wise's trajectory? In retrospect, we actually decided halfway through the process that we're we're doing direct listing. It wasn't obvious uh, from the beginning, but it should have been in retrospect because uh, it was so obviously the right thing or the right approach for us and for, for many reasons. So Wise is this interesting interesting company that tries to make this product cheaper that we offer and, and we're extracting cost out of a, an expensive problem. And this innovation that we're doing wouldn't really be true if we were burning money kind of on the other side. So, so therefore, Wise has been a profitable company for uh, for four years now. Um, and we haven't needed to raise any money for, for a long time. And when we um, started discussing listing, we also didn't want to take on new capital because our customers are already paying our salaries and there's even a little bit left over for the, for the rainy day. So we didn't really need any money. And, um, and we realized that you know, starting your shares trading on a stock exchange is so much more straightforward to do than this entire IPO process where you somehow need to find uh, the people who want to sell your stock, uh, so shareholders that want to sell, and then you need to find someone who wants to buy and some need the bankers to negotiate the price between them. And then inevitably it's a zero-sum game where some people or institutions are going to get very happy and others are going to get slightly screwed, uh, or at least that's how they would feel. And, and therefore, doing the direct listing where you share start trading in the morning, there is uh, an auction like every morning on a stock exchange. The buyers meet the sellers at the price they want to trade, and this thing happens, and then it's done, and then we can go back to work. This was, uh, this was an amazing choice, and I'm really happy that we we ended up doing this. Um, I can't say that it works for everyone, but for us, where we didn't want to raise money and where we wanted the, the most transparent, uh, the least uh, emotional process to go through, uh, it worked really well for us. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I want to transition, Chris, just a little bit to you um, personally. If we go back, can you tell us something that your parents did that you think was unique that has helped you grow into who you are? That's a very uh, difficult question. There's maybe one thing that I do remember for some reason, uh, just a probably fourth or fifth year in school where uh, I remember coming home one day, being very proud that I did well in maths or something. I was uh, top of the class for some uh, some test that happened that week. And I do remember my mom telling me 
that's well done, Christo. Good, but uh, <laughs> you're just the best in the class. It doesn't. It's a, you're better than a couple of other people, but doesn't doesn't mean that you're. Uh, that's kind of not the end of it. So so I think for us, especially when we're starting in Europe, where maybe the largest tech company, as you as you pointed out. That's you, you always find a comparison where where you're the best, but you know does that really mean anything? Um, so so that's just one small thing that I uh, word of wisdom that I I remember from my mom very early days. As you think about building a company, and as you said, you were really rooted as an engineer and wanted to solve a problem. You didn't ever seek out becoming a, a founder. What would you say is the most surprising part of being a founder? So now, you know, a, a decade in the rearview mirror, what's the thing that you didn't expect? And I know you're obviously an incredibly bright person. You found, There's so much founder wisdom out there. Everyone sort of sees everything. But what was the thing that surprised you? I think a lot of things, uh, when you look at it from the outside in, are mysterious or there's there's mystique. So if you're entering a job market, there's all these large companies. It's very mysterious how they, how the operator or how they've kind of earned their place there. Um, but kind of coming through this, um, there's nothing special um, about building or, or leading one. I think technically anyone can, anyone can, can do this as long as, uh, uh, as, as long as you get a million small things more or less right over the over the course of it so uh, there's there's certainly less mystery about like, how companies work or how why companies get built or how they get built than there maybe might have been for me 20 years ago when I when I looked uh, outside in and I think everyone will say that there's nothing really that special about uh, about any of the roles that we we do whether that's uh, being a CEO of a large company or a, or a CFO or a founder. At the end of the day, everyone's still a person trying to make some good choices, and you know some will have a bit more experience, others will have less, but you just have to learn slightly quicker. As you think about what the hardest part was. Um, you've had to evolve so much as a leader. You went from literally um, building wise in your kitchen with a handful of employees. You now have, as you mentioned, over 2,000. What do you think was the hardest part for you as you evolved as a leader? There's too many, and probably I haven't figured them all out yet. Uh, <laughs> there's this uh, a word of wisdom that actually a bank CEO gave me maybe seven years ago that he's... Uh, uh, that there's two things that you need to do. One thing is help people figure out what to do and then say thank you. I and, love that. Uh, and it's, it's certainly the saying thank you bit is, uh, is something that is easy to forget, but is very, very valuable when, when used. My last question um, on you personally is, we have now interviewed a hundred plus founders um, from the most successful companies on the planet. And they often all have something that helps them stay balanced. Um, what would you say are the things that you rely on to help you just stay focused? Do you have any tricks, any hacks, anything that you can pay it forward to everybody that's listening? I think the, the important reminder for, for me is, um, 
is trying to put myself um, five years or three years or 10 years in the future, look back into today and, uh, and, and question whether my worry or anxiety means it will, will it matter three, five, 10 years in the future? Because it's a great reminder that if you're, if you know, you're doing something on a very long term, the, the, the thing, the immediate things or the immediate problems, uh, actually don't look so big anymore and, uh, become much more, uh, much more manageable in, in one way, but it also lets, uh, you balance your, your life better. Um, because, uh, if you want to be around 10 years in the future, then it's no, it's not worth breaking, breaking yourself today. I love that. I want to just move to a quick fire round. I'm just going to ask a question and you answer with whatever first comes to mind. What was your coolest pinch me moment? A moment where you really stepped back and said, wow, I can't be- believe that just happened. Um, so far at wise. It must've been that first transaction that we got through after we launched with a blog post that someone actually put their money on our accounts so that we offer the service to them. That must've been, uh, the real pinch me, someone we didn't know, someone randomly read the blog post. That was pretty awesome. That's awesome. To date, when you're interviewing people and deciding whether they would be a good fit for wise, we often find that, um, people have a question that they really, really lean on or that they really like. What's yours? What do you like to ask to get to the core of who somebody is? Um, there's very, very different ones. I, I, I find that the motivation, um, in terms of understanding why they want to join us, uh, the, a useful course of, of an interview is often asking, what are you planning to do afterwise? So imagine that you join us, but then like one day you will leave, um, whether that's five, 10 years in the future, but that will come. So what is the next thing that you want to do? So getting them to talk through what is the, what is the next thing usually helps them to explain, kind of come out of this thing that they, they feel that they need to tell me uh, to, to explaining what they actually want to do. And, uh, and often it leads to me convincing them that they should actually do this now rather than joining us. Um, and, you know, many times it, uh, it turns out to be a better option. What would you say was a favorite book that you've read in the last decade? There is a um, Danish author, Sven Borger Madsen, that uh, writes these uh, like short stories about, uh, about people. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of short stories about people, uh, fiction literature. Next question. If we fast forward two years, how many days a week do you think people go to offices? It's going to be very different. Some will go zero days a week and uh, some will go six to seven days a week. It will, uh, it will vary. I for sure will be uh, in the six to seven camp or five, uh, five camp probably um, because I I find working alone in my bedroom utterly boring. Uh, this is not what I signed up to do. Uh, working with other people is uh, infinitely more fun than doing that out of my bedroom. Last question here is, other than WISE, is there a startup or a product that you've seen 
that you thought was just incredibly exciting or compelling or really piqued your interest um, in the last year? So any other early stage startup that you got excited about? This is a, it's a great question. And I, I wouldn't be able to name you one because I think there's actually many, maybe the, the most impressive camp of startups are or startups is maybe too much now, but all the logistics starting with Uber and, uh, and now going through food delivery and being able to get like fresh grocers to your door in 15 minutes in, in London, this is very, uh, uh, very amazing as an, as an engineer, we kind of knew this was possible. It's not easy even for, for an engineer to, to kind of believe this, but, uh, but it works. So I think the, the efficiency that, uh, that we've gotten through these kind of logistics, uh, improving gaps, um, and productivity improvements, uh, and these are pretty, pretty amazing. Chris Dotes, I want to just first thank you so much for building Wise. You've been such an inspiration. Um, and as I said, it, it's been so fun to follow your career. Um, and having you know spent time with you today, it's so clear of just what a balanced, thoughtful, and humble um, human you are. So just again, we're, we're so proud and it's been so fun to cheer you on. Everybody out there, um, if you want to learn more about Wise, simply check out wise.com and you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Um, Chris for absolutely rooting for you. Thank you so much for everything that you've done uh, and best of luck. Alexa, it was great to be on your show. 